You are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. This show is for real. Hello there, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am joined by Radhika Rao, who is a Buddhist as well as a theatre performer, a teacher, and many other things. So in this conversation, we primarily focus around Buddhism. It's a religion that I myself am somewhat familiar with, but I don't really know that much about it. I know a lot more about the Abrahamic religions, such as Christianity and Catholicism, and lesser so about Judaism and Islam. But Buddhism is something that's always kind of intrigued me, but I don't really know that much about it. So this conversation with Radhika really, really helped me understand a bit more about Buddhism, as well as how Buddhism has affected her life, or the positive change it has done, as well as other elements of her life, you know, how that the religion has assisted her with even improvisational comedy, for example, which is a surprising connection, but we we delve into those things, as well as how she perceives the world, how her life has been sort of from growing up in India and moving over to the US, those sorts of things. So this is really a great conversation about introspection, religion, enlightenment, all those sorts of things. Identity is a very big part of this conversation. And so um, as always, check out the links in the description. You've got links to Radhika's site, as well as the organisation Soka Gakai International, uh, which she did speak about in this podcast, as well as her Instagram handle, her IMDB page, her LinkedIn, and a few other bits and pieces there. So make sure you check out all of those things. There will be a quick promo for the Pub Time podcast coming up very shortly, and then once that is all finished, then my conversation with Radhika will begin. I'll be back at the end of the conversation to give yourselves a bit more information on what's coming up and what you can expect from the show over the coming weeks, but please make sure you follow me at Genuine Chit Chat on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook to be kept up to date with everything that I get up to, and if you enjoy the show, please don't forget to share it with people, rate and review, and all those good things. And just a quick shout out for friend of the show, Tonya Todd, for connecting both myself and Radhika for a brilliant conversation, and I'm sure plenty to come in the future. So, without further ado, here is the promo for the Pub Time podcast, and then my conversation with Radhika Rao. The Pub Time Podcast is for blue-collar, hard-working, beer-drinking men and women who need a break from the daily grind. That's right. We talk about beer, sports, hot topic current events, and true crime while mixing in our own brand of dark humor. So sit your ass down and crack a cold one with the boys from Illinois. Buckle up, bitches. It's Pub Time. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. And here we are. I am joined today by an individual who is, well, I mean, you are an actress. Uh, you're someone who I would consider to be quite enlightened. You are a teacher. Uh, you are a Buddhist as well. There's so many different elements to you, and that's not even giving you justice there. So I'm very pleased uh, to announce is Radhika. I forgot to ask how you pronounce your surname. Is it Rao? Yes, it's Radhika Rao. Radhika, yeah. okay, I see. I yeah. should have, I normally asked beforehand, but I was too confident oh. in myself. Um, but no welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. And uh, anything you want to say about yourself uh, before we get going, if I didn't already tackle some things? No, I'm, I'm you know, I um, live in San Francisco. Um, I moved to the US, United States um, when I was in my mid 20s. And I work um, as a um, theater artist and I integrate theater in different learning situations. 
It's amazing. Yeah, because you've done a lot of information about improv and there's, I really encourage people to go to your website, which I'll include a, a link in the description, but it's, there are so many almost nuggets, like clips you could take from either interviews you've done or on your website where it's just like profound, brilliant bits of knowledge. So when I was introduced to you uh, via our mutual friend, Tonya Todd, I was very intrigued because I was like, oh, you know, Buddhism is something specifically that has intrigued me quite a lot. So before we sort of delve into Buddhism, I'd love to hear a little bit about yourself uh, growing up in India. And I suspect this is going to tie in uh, with Buddhism quite a lot as well due to obviously the country's culture. So you, you grew up in India and obviously you moved over here. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your life in India and potentially if you're willing to share why you moved to the US and how that potentially interlinks with Buddhism in any way you so please. It has very much to do with Buddhism. So I was actually born in the Netherlands. Oh. Um, my Yeah, my dad used to work in Philips Eindhoven. So I was, you know, born there um, and lived there for four and a half years. Apparently, I used to speak fluent Dutch. Um, <laughs> and I even knew some cuss words in Dutch, you know. <laughs> That's what my mother tells me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I had a potty mouth, you know, uh, even when I was a kid, apparently. Uh, but when I was four and a half, I think my parents, that was before that predated the EU. So we're talking 1977 to mm. 1981. Um, and so there was, you know, it really didn't make sense. My parents didn't grasp what the what Europe was going to become. And they both wanted to go back to India and raise us, you know, in uh, you know in India so when I was four and a half we moved back and then uh, the Hindi erased the Dutch apparently I did learn German in high school and it pretty easily so I wonder if you know mm. um, it had anything to do with it and I think that if I uh, was you know hypnotized maybe I'd, I'd speak Dutch I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, but I um, and then I was raised in India and uh, by fairly liberal parents I actually you know didn't realize that my parents were that liberal until I, you know, I was much later in life, like in my 20s. And I realized like, wow, a lot of my Indian friends didn't have a lot of freedom, that, freedoms that my sister and I had. But education was very important to um, my parents and um, and marriage was not, <laughs> so, which is like, you know, a lot of marriage is very big in, in India. Um, and so um, I was always, I was, you know, the, the whole I was raised in the Indian educational system, which is pretty rigorous, a lot of standardized testing. And some of it comes from the British system, but some of it has just become its own beast. Sorry. <laughs> um, but what? I mean, yeah, but I think we made it more miserable than the British could ever have imagined it to be. Um, <laughs> I was really good at school, but you know what? I like managed to be um, I had two experiences of um uh, of being in plays. Um, one was in elementary school, one was um, in primary school I, when I was in the fourth grade. And I, um, you know, I think I, I played this like evil minister. And it was that, you know, that time that, you know, you lose your front teeth. So I was even more evil because I didn't have teeth, you know, I didn't have front teeth. And I ended up getting some kind of supporting actor award by the end of it they had to like make up an award because apparently I was impressive um <laughs> and then and then the other um you know other uh chance I got was when I was in high school um and our school just did a one-off production of um Andrew Lloyd Webber's Starlight Express which is also just so random and otherwise there was no opportunities for the arts I learned the guitar a bit but there wasn't any opportunity 
And I just knew through those two experiences that I really wanted to act or that I wanted to perform and express myself. And I think things at home weren't that great. You know, um, I, I don't think that I, um, I don't know. I don't think I was a happy kid. You know, I don't think I was unhappy, but I wasn't happy. So the idea of like entering other characters was just exciting. And um, I'd often say dialogue in my head. So I think I had that dream. But um, so when I was in college uh, in India, I went to a women's college. I got to really uh, take part in like a, what we call a dramatics club, dramatic society club. And I became the president of that club. And, you know, I, um, um, you know, I, I decided that after my undergraduate, I am not going to go for postgraduate studies and a master's, which in India, if you grow up in like a middle class, upper middle class, like background, like upper caste, whatever, where education is valued, it's like horrible. Like, wow, I'm not, it's almost like I'm not going to go to college or I'm not going to get my, you know, um, high school degree. So, but I said, I just want to be, I want to, this is what I want to do. I want to do theater. And um, there's one, there was one big nationally run theater company and I didn't get into it. <laughs> you know, I really, I didn't get into it. Um, and, and then I started apprenticing with another company, um, but I fell, but it was really hard. <laughs> and actors can be really messed up in the whole theater company is a toxic work culture. And I didn't have any survival skills. Um, so I fell into kind of a depression, which I didn't realize. I think now that was like, you know, early 2000s in India. If it was now, I think I might have been diagnosed with low grade depression. Um, and it was at that time that my um, one of my really good friends that I'd known from college walked into the same environment and um, she was not impacted by it the way I was. And I knew she was a practicing Buddhist. She'd actually been talking to me about Buddhism, you know, for two years and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but, you know, she had pretty much manifested whatever she needed to manifest. And um, and she just looked happy. And um, and she had survived like this terrible, like a strain of malaria that was really rampant in Delhi at that time. Brain malaria and six, five, six people had died or something. And she was the only person who didn't die. Wow. Um, and, you know, and then she ended up like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Monsoon Wedding, but she's in Monsoon Wedding. Like oh, she that's is, cool. It's a really famous movie. And she was um, she got a part in that. But I just noticed that the people that were abusive towards me in the workplace treated her really well and that she was able to get the best out of that you know environment. And somehow was weighing me down. So I knew that there's something going on with her Buddhist practice. And on one like really sad day, I was in the bathroom crying. I forget why I was crying. I was like, you got to take me to a Buddhist meeting, you know? And that's how like I started practicing Buddhism. And um, it involves this chant, um, Nam Yoho Renge Kyo. Um, and the organization is called the Sokagaka International. And for those of your listeners who watch Bridgerton, um, one of the actors on Bridgerton, the the middle daughter, I forget, the feisty one, the one that is, you know, um, she she practices SGI. So it's an incredible practice that asks you a question, like, what's your mission in life? Like, and says that, you know, Buddhism says that we're all born, you know, with a purpose. And there's always, there are lessons that we're meant to learn in this life. And we all have a unique mission that only we can fulfill. So when we awaken to that mission, like yours might be, you know, these these conversations and podcasting and no one can do what you do because you're unique. 
And so I started asking myself that question and out of, it's a very long story, but out of that kind of um, search, spiritual search, I um, got opportunities to teach and realized that I wanted to, that I'm passionate about peace building. I, you know, India is a very multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-religious place, but it's not often peaceful and um, people are fighting each other, <laughs> you know, and um that I wanted to be part of the peace building process in the world in general, make the world a better place. But the way I wanted to do it was through uh, performing arts and theater and um, through education. And that I, there were these three facets of my life, performance, teaching, and peace building that I wanted to bring together. And I used to think there were different things that couldn't coexist, but Buddhism enabled me to, you know, do that. And I had a, we call it a benefit in Buddhism that you have benefits when you start chanting Nam Myoho And my benefit was to, um, you know, fit, is, was to get into the Harvard School of Education, you know, Harvard University School of Education. And I applied to um, five or six schools and I got rejected by all but Harvard. So I had to go to Harvard. Wow. <laughs> and that's how I came to America to study how theater could be used in like peace building. Wow. So, that's an incredible yeah. story. It's- <laughs> It's one of those things where yeah, things come out in strange places. It's like with myself, like we were speaking before I press record. Uh, it was, yeah. you know, podcasting for me is my passion. I've done bits and pieces before. As I said I've done a YouTube show. I did music videos and stuff. Um, and well, I'd worked previously um, a few years ago where my sort of first proper job in air quotes um, was, was for five years and a, a place that creates CDs and cassette tapes. So this is only five, six years ago I left there, so they're still going. Um, but I did a lot of graphic design there. And in the graphic design and also with the production of the CDs, you had to do a degree of mastering. So I had mm. a little bit of knowledge of audio. I had a lot of stuff to do with uh, visual and graphic design, and I did a bit of media in college, uh, which would be like late high school. College here is when you're like 16 to 18, so it's not actually oh, university college. Um, so I, I'm not quite that high. I didn't go to uni, so that's college for yourselves, but basically like the tail end of high school, I did uh, media studies and things. And so all of it kind of intrigued me. So when I got into podcasting, I was like, I've got all these skills that seem to all kind of work. And I was like, that kind of pushed me and made me kind of realize, like reaffirmed myself in what I wanted to do. And I imagine that you found something like this, which is whenever things have become tough when it comes to um, either your teaching or your performances or things like that, and you have that moment of doubt or you think, oh, maybe maybe I'm not doing the right thing. Maybe this isn't the path. And then you have normally that day or the next day or really close to that happening. Something will happen and it'll be like, oh, no, this is definitely it. With me podcasting, I'm like, should I stop? And then the next day, I'll get a really nice message from someone or a comment or something. Maybe I should say that on every podcast that I'll stop podcasting and loads of people flood me with nice comments. But it's that kind of thing. So I wonder if with yourself, when you've been uh, teaching in that, you maybe have those moments where you self-doubt, but the, the universe in a way kind of shows you, no, you are on the right path, even if every day doesn't feel like it. Yeah, I I so relate to that so much. And I I think I spent like, I I feel like I'm just easing into, um, you know, not doubting myself as much. But I think doubt is part of like, just human life. And I think doubt also has prevented me from being arrogant, (laughs) you know, and just being like, and it helps me grow. But um, in Buddhism, we talk about harboring doubt, like don't harbor it for too long. (laughs) You know, it's important because it's teaching you something. And one of the things which I I think I relate to you is I, I was, I'm good at 
different things or I'm very curious or I'll dabble in different things, but then I won't become a master of anything. So like jack of all trades, master of none. And I just had a negative um, view about that, you know, that that's just not a good thing. I'm not great at anything. And, and I realized that, no, it's actually that I'm, I'm curious and I know a little bit about everything and it, and that's who I am. And when the time comes, sure, I can master something, but I just don't have a one track kind of personality. And they're talking about that a lot now. They're calling it hybrid professionals and people that, you know, I guess that's how Renaissance people were, right? <laughs> like yeah. that People did many things and you could be into science and art at the same time and, you know, religion and science at the same time. And so I, I definitely feel that um, that I'm coming, I'm I'm acknowledging my my uniqueness more. And that is that, yeah, I, I just, I don't just do one thing great. <laughs> I do yeah. a lot of little things. And I love that. I get bored. I don't know about you, but I get bored doing, if I have to do the same thing again and again, which is, which is why I'm like an, a freelancer and I like working for myself and doing different projects. And I imagine you like interviewing different kinds of people. You know? Yeah, 100%. And also one of your other passions, yeah. uh, which links in with your teaching and the acting is mm. more specifically improv. And it's yeah. an interesting thing that when I first heard, you, when I when you first hear improv and then Buddhism, you may yeah. initially go, oh, you don't connect those dots initially. But I think improv boiled down to its core is just thinking on your feet. That's that's yep. really what it is that's at its it. core. So it's yeah. just like adapting to situations, whether or not you're trying to be funny to someone or you're trying to make them think or however you want the improvisation to go. It's all just about thrown in the deep end, just kind of vaguely figure it out. You know, you won't get berated for not knowing. You just got to try things and just try kind of almost let let the universe guide you in a certain way. You know, let whatever you kind of feeling you've got that random thought, just say it, bring it out. So I wonder if you could talk about sort of your love of improv and if and how that's affected uh, your relationship with Buddhism at all. Absolutely. Uh, I started improv in um really seriously in San Diego and um and I'd graduated from um Harvard and I wanted to get into um acting in San Diego and um I wasn't getting any parts because <laughs> I think at that time I don't know what it's like right now in San Diego but in 20, 2010 like they had barely discovered black people on stage you know so mm. they were like oh every show is gonna have one black person <laughs> and so I was like oh gosh by the time it comes to like an Indian actor with an accent you know it's just gonna be it's gonna be 2050 so I just couldn't I mean I auditioned but I, I didn't really get any parts and but what I discovered there was improv and in improv you can play any part in Improv is you're writing, you're directing, and you're acting yourself. Like it's all like it's everything. And you get to, it's so delightful because if you have the courage to do improv because nothing is scripted, you um you get to play eight characters in a day as opposed to like, you know, you play one character, maximum two or three in, in a scripted play. So I got into improv and I could, you know, not only be myself, but I could be other people. And, and that was so liberating or other things or other animals and make up these stories. And I, I was a Buddhist at that time. And I had been a Buddhist for like 10 or 11 years. But what I didn't realize was how aligned improv was with Buddhism and improv is based on a concept of yes and, mm. you know, and, you know, and I, I once saw this little like <laughs> funny, like uh, meme thing where they said, you know, it was all about like different religions and some religions are like, why, did, why, you know, 
why did this shit happen? Or like, this shit is not fair. And Buddhism says shit happens. (laughs) (laughs) And Buddhism just says, it is what it is. Now, how are you going to create value out of it? And improv does the same thing. It says, whatever your scene partner told you, whatever audience suggestion you get, even if you think it's a terrible suggestion, you, it's your responsibility to, you know, um, to make something beautiful out of it. And so, but practicing that was, I knew was improv gave me the opportunity to practice that. And I realized that even though I had been chanting and practicing Buddhism, that was very judgmental of certain things. Like this is a good choice. This is a bad artistic choice. And I judged myself as well to the point that I suffered where I would cut myself down. I terribly, I bombed that audition, but improv says, just take a breath and you this is great. You're there. Like, let's applaud that. And the other thing that improv does is asks you to listen. And you cannot be a good improviser if you don't listen to the other person. And I used to be, and still am, I'm still working on it. I get sometimes so anxious um, and I want to do so well that I can't listen to what's happening in front of me, you know? And I just recently had that um, experience in a a solo-ish improv situation, which I want to go back and do because I wasn't breathing and I wasn't listening. And I think I just wasn't present. It was terrible, you know? But I learned that I actually don't listen, that I could do such a better job of listening to my friends, you know, listening to my family members, really listening and taking a moment to just listen, take it in and then respond. So being an improviser has helped me be a better Buddhist too, you know, and of course being a Buddhist helps you improvise, you know, but it's, it's gone both ways. They're very, um, they're very relational. They're very connected to each other. And the other um, uh, principles of improv are make your partner look good, you know, make your partner look good and um, operate at the top of your intelligence, you know, like don't do the easy thing, like, you know, do the challenging, interesting thing. And so that's been really great. Like, yeah, take the road less traveled. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I find like, it's it's one thing as well, which I think um, from what I understand about Buddhism, which is uh, limited, is that kind of idea that you're always growing, but it is to, as you said earlier, to be the best yeah. you you can be. If you're going to yeah. always compare yourself to, for example, the, this person over here, you, you are on completely different trajectories. Even if at times it seemed like you're on the same path, you're not, you know, right. it's it completely different. And with, I found with podcasting, for example, um, in having to listen, especially when I'm editing, listening to myself talk with people, especially in the earlier days, I was finding that I was doing the vast majority of the talking, even though I was meant to be having someone on my show to showcase them, but I was talking so much. So in doing podcasting, it has helped me try and rein it back a bit and be more of a listener as opposed to, you know, you can be someone who's just hearing someone and you kind of, you vaguely hear what they say and you probably hear the first the, the first few words and the last few words but yeah. realistically you're just waiting for them to finish talking so you can say what you want to say and so doing podcasting has really helped me uh edit myself is is being able to having to listen to myself talk for hours and hours a week outside of yeah. my own you know throat and things it is a very good way and quite a, an unpleasant way in certain ways because a lot of people are like, oh, i hate the sound of my own voice like yeah i don't like it still but at least now i know <laughs> i can kind of trim bits off here and there and kind of self-edit before having to go into that so what you've been yeah. saying there is is really intriguing and with buddhism itself what is it 
Like with Buddhism, obviously there's no easy way and there's whole podcasts uh, mm. about like hours and hours of trying to explain Buddhism and those sort of things. But yeah. to you as an individual, if someone says, what is Buddhism to you? And yeah. be as ambiguous with that question as you want and define it in any way. If someone just yeah. said, what's Buddhism to you? How would you answer that question? Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you can have a minute. Don't um, worry. Don't feel rushed. <laughs> yes. I'm just trying to think like with my my body here instead of my head because I could go in a million places. Um, I think for me, because Buddhism is many, 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 many different schools of Buddhism, you know, after the Buddha passed, there were so many things. And, you know, a lot of it is similar, but the Buddhism that I practice, you know, um, which is with this organization, Sokagakai, and it's based on Nichiren Buddhism and the Lotus Sutra, um, it is a practice. So I, I was also an atheist or probably agnostic. I didn't know the difference when I was younger. <laughs> so, but I didn't believe in a God or in heaven or hell or like, you know, things that were, you know, um, you know, outside of this realm. I didn't understand it. I, I, I you know, I, there was something going on, but I saw a lot of religious people that were real assholes in real life, yeah. you know, but would go to <laughs> temple, right? Like, and I was like that, no, I don't want to do that. Or in like in India, you have all of these like priests that are so corrupt, you know? And I'm like, that doesn't, that, what's the purpose of religion, you know? Mm -hmm. And and yet I needed something to explain the universe. So for me, Buddhism is a practice and I it's a daily practice. And what I do is I sit in front of my altar and there is a scroll that's called the Gohonzon that represents uh, the enlightenment of human beings. And just says that you are the same force that exists in the universe exists in your heart. And, you know, and some people call it God, you know, but Buddhism doesn't like really engage in that idea of God, but that we are powerful. And, and on that scroll are also like um, what we call like devilish functions and godly functions. So we're everything, we're good and bad and we're human. But at the core of it, we're Buddhas. We have the potential, everybody without exception, has the potential to do what's right and what's life affirming. So every day when I sit in front of my altar, I practice doing what we call our human revolution, which is that I work on myself, on, on transforming myself and uh, praying for, you know, of course, things to manifest in my life because Buddhism will say that earthly desires are enlightenment. So in order for me to do good in this world, I have to also uh, be successful. So we don't we don't say I'm going to detach from something. But as we start chanting, our prayers become bigger and bigger. So I'm, you know, I have the capacity to chant for, you know, places that are at war or famine or the environment is freaking me out right now. You know, I have. And um, so it's a practice of sitting in front of your altar morning and night expressing gratitude, um, you know, bring, you know, um, sharing whatever's in your heart, you know, acknowledging that, chanting for people that you care about, of uh, causes that you care about. And then, of course, like, that's only a, you know, a few minutes or hours or whatever. And then, and then living that in my daily life, you know, so if I, you know, go to a, a, a work environment where I don't like the people I work with. Like, what can I do? You know, how can I recognize their Buddhahood? How can I say, how can I create value in this situation? Show up as the best human being, you know? So, um, yeah, it, it it's, um, it's the human talk. We call it human revolution that ultimately world peace is not going to be caused by an economic social revolution or laws changing. It's when every human being chooses a peaceful option over like, 
violent option, which is we're just so quick to pick up a gun or cut somebody down. It's a spectrum of violence. Some of us won't ever kill somebody, but we'll cut somebody's Buddhahood or humanity down by saying they're like that, you're like that, you know, this group is like that, that group is like that, you know. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the issue. So every day, and I, you know, I'm a human being. So every day I'm like watching my thoughts, words. And these, but it's really, it's really fun. Buddhism doesn't um, negate any thought or feeling. Just says, okay, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's a very uh, introspective religion of the amount I know about it. You know, with a lot of religions, um, like yeah. I've been very critical of a Christianity, more so Catholicism, because it's kind of like the less diluted, less liberal version to some degree and not to criticize any religion over any other religions right. in particular but when you have religions such as islam or christianity catholicism mm -hmm. where you have a bit of doctrine and then mm -hmm. the doctrine is infallible and then there's certain parts in there that either get interpreted in certain ways or is written or translated god knows how many times to you know there's issues entrenched in those religions which take a lot okay. to deal with without people being happy and it's you know you can't do this you can't do that and yeah and i've, I've never heard like I know there have been issues in the past um, with wars because of people believing in um, Buddhism yeah. and other religions clashing and things yeah. like with many things. But of all the religions, I think that Buddhism is the one I've hit. I've heard the the least amount of at least modern atrocities of of people people being unable to do certain things because their religion has constricted it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not obviously I can't speak for everyone who's experienced anyone who is a practicing Buddhist yeah. in the many different facets, but I have found it's very much more so about yourself less so about the rest of the world you know it's not about fearing a god who's going to punish you or trying to make this god happy it's you are all god you yeah. are all a part right. of this thing we're all connected so yeah. your kind of role is to be the best you you can be so that everyone around you everyone who's affected by the ripples that you cause in this world are benefiting as much as possible without yeah. causing detriment to yourself so is yeah. that when one speaks of enlightenment is the way that you personally interpret that as being the best you you can be while also spreading the most joy or is it something slightly different yeah i think so yes and you know i mean absolutely and you know and, and buddhist buddhism like other religions also there are there is violence that has been mm -hmm. committed but very little like i think myanmar is an example where the buddhist monks i think just really uh violent so it's i mean every religion falls prey to that but i yeah. think in the doctrine there's something you know right yes um enlightenment is defined as a, as as a state of mind that you can enter at any moment. You can drop into Buddhahood at any time, but it's a state of mind where you're strong, um, and you're confident, and you're compassionate and and wise in that moment, and you're you're free of your environment. So that and it's something that sometimes must you you need to experience sometimes an ops what we call an obstacle or difficult time to experience Buddhahood. It's a state where like things around you might be crumbling, but you feel confident because somewhere you understand the meaning of that moment, you know, um, or when you're going through a hard time and you step out and support somebody else. But it's this state of mind where you're not a victim of your environment or you're not swayed. We call it swayed by our environment, you know. Um, and so, yeah, and it's a feeling where you feel it's a it's a feeling of my life has purpose and but it's not just i me and myself it's very much like a buddha is always like embracing everybody else so we're at least the kind of buddhism that i practice are very engaged with the most diverse uh, buddhist organization 
um, in the world. And uh, I, it's a very interesting organization because it's um, majority, it's women are in the majority and people of color in a majority in, the, in America. That may not be the case in every place, but in America, which is the opposite of what it's like in the United States, you know, um, and and that's a real testament to, you know, equality. But everybody is, you know, um, everybody is really considered equal, um, you know, in that sense. But yeah, enlightenment, it's just a feeling of freedom. I don't know how to describe it. But, you know, I was, it's, I've been stressing, as an artist, I stress about money a lot. You know, and a few months ago, I was stressing about money and, um, you know, and at the same time, I, we, you know, um, I wanted to contribute to an, an organization, make a difference. I was chanting and I was chanting and my car had broken down. I was chanting. And what I realized was that I'm, I need to feel financially abundant in my heart. <laughs> like I somehow feel that I can't attract that or that I'm, you know, that money just doesn't come to me. And I was chanting and I had this awakening that I've always been protected and this great feeling of gratitude that where I live, I live in San Francisco. I live in, you know, a first world country. I live near the ocean. I'm like, I can see the ocean from my, you know, bedroom and that I have never not gotten what I needed at that moment. But at the same time, I feel like I have this poverty mindset, you know, where I'm worrying about my bank account and worrying about what would happen if this apartment that I live in doesn't work out. And I said, I have to change that mindset. In that moment, there was complete freedom. And, and you know, and I just determined I'm going to become the person who can freely give my money, that money will just come and go. And I ended up making that financial contribution that I wanted to make. But guess what? I My, my friend gave me this like personal loan, which so I'm not owing a bank. And I was able to get myself a nice hybrid car, which I wanted. My um, There was a COVID rent relief grant that the Californian government was giving out. My roommate and I got like four months free rent. But that wasn't the winner for me. The, the thing was, was the freedom that I am, you know, I am not my bank account and that I have the ability to manifest whatever I need in my life, you know? Mm. And, um, and that's, I feel like is enlightenment. Like I've been single for seven years and I had a really, um, I think it's just a really painful, like a divorce, you know, five years ago. Um, and I suffered on, on account of that. And I've been, you know, but this few years of singlehood and really, spiritually investigating that I now feel very enlightened that I know who I am and I feel like I'm worthy of love and having grown up in a household where I, I wasn't confident at all that my parents loved each other I you know <laughs> um, they chose to stay with each other I didn't I I didn't have a roadmap of what that looks like and so somewhere I thought I wasn't worthy of manifesting a relationship so now I'm at this place where I say no I am I'd like to you know and I'm worthy of love and that for me is enlightenment. That's freedom because I'm not, you know, <laughs> mm. even though I haven't manifested that relationship yet, but I know it's coming. So I'm not, I'm free of fear. I'm free of um, stress and, you know, worry. And like, that's enlightenment. So life is not, um, life is suffering, but it doesn't have to be actually. The point of Buddhism is that for people to be happy. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we don't, um, we don't go through difficult times. It's the symbol of Buddhism is a lotus flower. And the lotus only grows in muddy ponds. It will not grow in clear water. Mm. So if you try to grow it, it won't. It will wilt and die. And it, it also seeds and uh, blossoms at the same time. So the idea is that the moment you experience a transformation in your heart, the environment has already changed, you know. 
Uh, it manifests the time when you're ready, but it's changed. And the other thing is that you you need the muck of your life. Everything that bothers you, everything that you think is a is a burden is actually the fuel for you to become happy. That's your superpower. You know, so I just went to a Buddhist conference recently and I was facilitating and uh, giving, you know, uh, we call it guidance or encouragement, but it's like counsel to, you know, people. And everybody who came to me had problems that I was facing or had faced. And I was able to encourage them because I was going through it. And as I was encouraging them, I said, I'm so glad I went through these really difficult moments that included health, self-esteem, family disharmony, divorce, financial struggle, because now I can encourage somebody else, you know, like perfect people can't encourage people. But if you've gone through a difficult time, you can say, I went through that. So can you. So that's, I think, the purpose of Buddhism is for all of us to be just be human and go through what we need to go through. Actually, Buddhism says we chose to be born with these particular troubles at this particular Mm -hmm. time with these particular people, some of whom piss us off. (laughs) But we chose (laughs) each other. (laughs) We chose each other. So that's really cool. (laughs) That's beautiful. Yeah. It sounds like to me, uh, your interpretation of enlightenment is almost like, um, you know, life is painful enough as it is, and yeah. you don't need to make your own, you don't need to put your own shackles on yourself. You, you don't need, you can take your own chains off and really kind of learn yeah. to breathe and have that contentment for the soul. Be content yeah. with yourself, by yourself, for a moment to just breathe. And then once you're ready to kind of have the interactions from everything else around the world, that's when you're kind of ready. Because if you're truly content with yourself, then the things the world's going to throw at you won't. Yeah wound you in the same way and is is what you say about um the lotus flower and thing is beautiful because it's a thing I, I say it on my podcast all the time um which is um my dad passed away when i was 19 so i'm nearly 30 now so it's it's gonna be about 10 years ish um thereabouts he passed away due to cancer and so i watched him progressively uh get ill and then uh die and it was when i'd finished uh, college and whatnot and obviously at the time it was very unpleasant uh, to go through and i dealt with it in a maybe not so healthy way for a while but what I realized is after it all happened and things, it was it was the worst thing that's ever happened to me, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to my character, to my person, because it completely changed my perspective on uh, life and death. It completely changed my perspective on what I wanted to do with myself. My dad was very successful. He had his own business. He earned a lot of money, uh, but he was always working Monday to Friday. And then Saturday, Sunday, he'd often work a few hours as well. And what I kind of realized is he passed away when he was 63, which is not that old. And he was quite fit as well before he got ill. And so it was one of those things where I was like, I don't want to do what he did. I'd rather have more financial difficulty and not have as much money, but be able to actually live, like really live more. But I know that the reason my dad was like that is because he grew up incredibly poor. He was the oldest of four siblings, incredibly poor family, almost no money. As soon as he could, he started working. So his whole mindset was the thing he'd been lacking um, earlier in his life was money. So he made it assure that no matter what, myself and my mum and things wouldn't have to worry about money in that same regard that he did and then from when I did that obviously when I lived through that and I saw that and kind of recognized that I was like oh so his what he didn't have when he was young he's fostered his entire life in a journey around that you know trying to heal that wound in a sense and then for me I'm kind of trying to learn from his passing which is a wound from me and trying to learn okay what can I learn from that 
what I learn is I don't need to invest my entire life to make money because at the end of the day, that won't necessarily equate happiness. My dad suffered through that and has done those things. So what can I focus on? Well, I want to focus on my passions. I want to focus on life. Obviously, I have to have a day job, which is yeah. <laughs> part of it, but I'm not. It's yeah. a nine to five, Monday to Friday. I enjoy right. it. My, I've got friends there, but it's not. My life isn't about my work. My work yeah. is something I have to do for life i don't hate it so it's fine where it is but i get to really focus on the other things that make me pat that get that fire behind my eyes so i feel like you're kind of uh, speaking about the lotus flower really connects with me as an individual because i'm very open about that on my podcast and i've i've got a podcast where i spoke my brother about um, the passing of my dad because we have the same dad but different mums and so i spoke with him about it on one of the earlier podcasts and i've had people still occasionally today message me and go just you talking about it in an open, honest way, not saying my dad was never perfect. You know, I never said he was a perfect man. Myself and my brother criticized him, but also cut him some slack. It's that that idea no one is pure good, no one is pure evil, regardless of whether they're alive or not, you know, and that's my perception of what what alive truly is also changed a lot and things. And I'm only just realizing it now, and I think it's the first time I've said it on the show, but my dad always said he had a guardian angel and he actually said it was an Indian gentleman. And he is always someone who is there. And whenever he went through times of struggle or hardship or something, he would always see this. And he was he was an agnostic. He didn't believe in any religion or anything. He was just kind of like, maybe there's a God, but I've not seen any proof. So who knows? But he always, and he, he wasn't someone who believed in necessarily in the supernatural or anything that spiritual. But throughout his whole life, I always remember him talking about a guardian angel who was an Indian gentleman, which is wow. quite an interesting thing. So it's, it's one of those intriguing things that maybe he was channeling Buddhism in some way or however he was channeling the world in his own way. But I appreciate yeah. you elaborating on the lotus flower thing because i i always share that story on the podcast uh when it's when it's relevant just bring it out the bag for no reason um but it is so important one of um the teachers his name is dr daisaku ikeda and he's a you know he's a peace activist he's you know won peace awards and he's also a writer um i can give you his name later but Mm -hmm. he's he lost his brother when he um in the second world war and he started practicing Buddhism when he was 19 years old. So he always talks about 19. But he he and his mentor always talk about young people who've been through really difficult moments becoming, you know, that that's almost a prerequisite to becoming a capable human being, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't experience difficult times when you're young. And, um, you know, and so but that but that even though it's 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 deemed unfortunate, like if you look at great people's lives, they all have difficulties and big big challenges that they've experienced when they were very you know young and and that makes them a certain kind of person like we call it capable you know empathetic or strong or resilient or you know so yeah we we I guess education sometimes try to shelter our children and sometimes and but you know everybody will go through what they need to go through and I'm sure your dad didn't want you to experience that but you here you are now doing such a human thing talking to people and (laughs) You know, we 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 call it um that we in Buddhism we talk about the people that not surviving people that have passed on, the family but their successors. Mm. So that you're carrying on the legacy because life is eternal and we believe in like energy is neither created nor destroyed, right? So whatever your your dad moved, you know, whatever your dad could not achieve, you know, you're passing it forward. But that's going back to your dad's life and somewhere he's somewhere, I don't know where, yeah. <laughs> you know enjoying everything that you're doing so you're succeeding and creating and adding value to his life so 
it's uh, it's something to be celebrated and we succeed them and we pass we carry on their legacy you know because mm. yeah it's I, I feel like my parents are the same way they they did the right thing that's part of being Indian is doing the right thing the question is always what should you be doing did you do this but not what makes you happy that's never the question that was asked and my parents did their best to like give us what we needed materially and um, but somewhere they were on, I feel like they could have done so much more, mm. you know, and, and I, I think my sister and I both, you know, then just decided to not value money and not value what other people value, like getting married, having children. And we've just like both gone in these unexpected ways, but we're both happy. <laughs> oh, completely. Yeah. And, and yeah. Thinking what, what you said uh, slightly earlier in that was, um, uh, with about people going through trauma is the way I describe it in, um, the yeah. short version, the elevator pitch is that my dad passing was an anchor point. That anchor. is the point I feel in my life where things change the trajectory I was on because I used to be quite uh, egotistical. I was never like a, a bad person, you know, it was just, I was kind of a dick. That was the problem. I was a know-it-all. I used to think I knew everything and it was just acted like that, you know, and I was arrogant about stuff. And then with that happening to me, with that going, you know, you are no more special than anyone else is in everyone special, but you, you aren't immune to these horrible things that can happen to someone. I mean, my, my grandmother passed away a year before my dad, then my dad, then my uncle the year after, all in different, slightly different ways. Oh. Um, so it was quite a big, a few years for me. And it really, you know shook me in in a really a really important way you know no one should have to go through unpleasant things you said but you learn the most lessons from those things and when you make the mistakes i know my dad passing wasn't a mistake of mine but you learn from either other people's mistakes or you learn from your own mistakes to get stronger uh and i know we need to sort of wrap up a little bit here but we you're gonna have to come back on because we're we're gonna have to uh you're gonna have to have you on again but i thought i'd ask you this one last uh question um before we uh kind of wrap up fully and uh then I'm definitely going to have to have you on because we're going to have to talk about loads of other stuff. Um, <laughs> but we, you spoke about with Buddhism uh, about how people see the perception of things and that you saw the, you can see the ocean from your um, your apartment window, which is great. Megan loves the ocean and things. And I mean, I love the ocean too. We both love the ocean. I don't know why she's, she likes water. I hate it. No, it's uh, we both very much enjoy it. It's, but, a, it's the Pacific Ocean too. So oh, a different amazing. ocean. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I, the way I've grown to perceive the world uh, and individuals, be it human or animals or uh, plants or anything like that, is I kind of view with the energy thing is of, as light. I just view, obviously, energy can never be lost, only ever redirected and things and changed. It can never be just destroyed. So I perceive life in itself, in air quotes, is just uh, to see it visually or to your core is to see light, is to see the light of a human being being alive, the light of a cute dog or a, a tree or anything and i wondered with yourself do you perceive the world maybe as light do you perceive it more so as an ocean or a current or something or do you in a metaphorical way perceive it as something else because i got the impression just from what you said about being able to see water that you would see it more as a as an ocean but i'm very intrigued by what you have to say about that and then we can after that bombshell <laughs> try and wrap up <laughs> oh my gosh wow i want to join the church of mike burton <laughs> <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um i don't know i i'm not one of those people who um who sees um, light or um, sound or some people are psychic or stuff. Honestly, I, I don't, I just have the ocean. I, I need, 
I need nature. I realized mm. that I grew up in Delhi, yeah. you know, which is like a huge city, the most polluted city in the world. And it was when I was growing up in the 80s and the 90s, it was still like green. It was a green and there's, you know, and my neighborhood still is is quite green and there were peacocks and parrots, but it's since then has become like just, you know, malls and, you know, buildings and just so populated. What, but I I had these early childhood experiences where I would be, um, you know, we would go um, to the Himalayas and like go to the mountains or do summer camps. So I have I have a very profound connection with mountains and I had n- not seen the ocean until very like, I don't know, I might have been in, in my early 20s or late teens. I'd not never seen the ocean because Delhi is landlocked. Mm-hmm. Um but when I moved to the United States, then I moved to Boston, which is on the on a bay, and then San Diego, which is on the ocean, and San Francisco, which is on the water. So I've only lived on the coast in America. Um, so I've developed a relationship with the ocean, <laughs> you know. But I feel like I there's a feeling of oneness with the environment that for me is energetically um, very potent. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a light or something, but this idea of oneness and this idea, and I remember that feeling. Um, watching a sunrise in this place called uh, Triund, which is, you know, in India and, um, you know, Himachal Pradesh, I think. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm messing my geography up. You could always send me a message um, after and I can include a link in the description just to make sure. It's where the Dalai Lama sits, you know, his, you Mm -hmm. know. uh, But... um, yeah, this oneness with nature, something bigger than yourself. And it's the same feeling that I have when I'm sometimes I'm looking at my scroll and chanting Namya Horenge Kyo. And it's this feeling that things are bigger than you because sometimes you feel small. So I think I experience like energy as like small or big and free or constricted. So it's more like a body feeling. Mm. And, um, and yeah, and I think it's the same thing with like, listening to somebody like if I'm just having a conversation and that's been I think it's been tricky with zoom that when you're you know when I'm just listening with like oh I want to know what the next thing I'm going to say that's not that's just hearing not listening like you so beautifully said but sometimes you're listening to somebody and you can take their whole self in and you're Mm. just like there's no boundary between you and that other person you tune into their vibe you tune into their vibe and you can feel not just what they're saying but what's in their soul and it's that oneness with another person or oneness with the environment. I think that's what I experience as like the yummy energy. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and that's, and, and when I just feel like small or I feel like, oh, yuck, or why is this? I'm too old. It's too late. Uh, why is this person being like that? When I'm just like, the word is like, eh, you know, I'm just like, I'm just not, you know, I just don't feel good. I don't feel magnanimous. I don't feel big. Like that's when I like know something is off. Um, mm. so it's maybe more of a body sensation, but I wish I see saw colors and stuff mm. like that. Well, I'm I'm a very visual person. I mean, I wore a nice, very bright colored uh, t-shirt as well to evidence yes. it a little. It's a, very nice. Yeah, it's very nice. wearing pajamas on the bottom though, so not quite as cool. Yeah. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm I it kind of threw you in the deep end with that wrong question at the end right. without any real prep. But it, it's one of those things. I'm I'm a very visual individual. I mean, I do podcasts. Yeah. Or I love. I, I'm multi sensory yeah. anyway. But I'm I'm yeah. quite a visual. So whenever I speak about things, I always yeah. I have a visual metaphor. But you know, there's no pressure. Well, I'll ask you again when you come on again, and maybe the answer would be slightly uh, different. Obviously, you didn't give a wrong maybe. answer, obviously. But it's like it's always intriguing hearing what people think about 
that, like whether or not you'd think you're more of a, a tree of something you perceive the world or a forest or maybe even a blade of grass in a meadow and everyone's just kind of moving in this mm. equal ground and things. Whatever. It's uh, I love just hearing people's speak about their perceptions of life and everything. And, and you've put so many eloquent thoughts uh, to my listeners and to myself yeah, today. Yeah. And we've only just scratched the surface. So we're going to have to get you back, yeah. delve right in uh, yeah. without the introductory stuff and get into the, the real deep stuff. Um, so as we wrap up here, because you know, you're know you a busy individual, you've got a lot of stuff <laughs> to do. Um, I wonder if you could tell people, I'll put a link to your website um, yeah. below and we'll talk again. Uh, we'll continue to talk over email and if there's any other things you want to link in. I've made a note about right. um, where the Dalai Lama is to make sure, just in case you haven't got it right, I'll put um, that it's, in the description. Yeah, it's McLeod Ganj and it's tree-owned. I just can't remember the state. I believe it's Himachal Pradesh, but I could be wrong. That's completely <laughs> fine. You can't know everything in, the, in a podcast, unfortunately. As That's why people like my show notes so much because I always make sure I put details in there. Show notes um, are the best. <laughs> <laughs> but please, before we uh, finish this up, let anyone know uh, where they can find you and if you have any sort of final statements and things uh, for the listeners uh, before we go, really. Yeah, sure. Um, I, um, I, you can find me on my website. It's not the best website, but whatever. It'll give you an insight into me and it's uh, www.radhikarao.org. I imagine that'll be in your show notes, so I won't spell it out. Um, I'm on Instagram at like radhikarao77. I'll, you know, share that with you too. I'm, I'm not much of a social, I don't like, social media isn't like how I'm always um, plugging myself, but, um, you know, I guess Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, and I, I'd love to work, um, you know, across, I do a lot of work in um, creating di- places of dialogue and, um, you know, in uh, professional settings. Like I work with doctors, you know, and how doctors interact with patients. I work with a police department as well. Mm. I work with, um, you know, in, in tech, you know, um, I, I help people like do presentations, but also have difficult conversations in the work context. I'm really passionate about people talking to each other across differences. So, um, you know, I, yeah, if you want to look, look me up professionally, I'd, I'd be happy as long as it's Zoom or report remote or, you know, somebody wants to pay for me to come to another country. Like, hey, <laughs> I'm up for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can look me up and my performance updates are there as well. Sometimes I'm lazier about them, but yeah. And also, doing improv. Yeah. and also obviously you're a theatre actress and also you're in a couple of series yeah. as well on yes. I think Strings Attached and Hiraith is that you pronounce I'll put like I think uh, it's Hiraith Hiraith I don't know it's a Welsh word oh okay it's a Welsh word that means longing for something for a place that you've left it's about mm. immigrants oh but it's it doesn't have another and I know I thought it was like Urdu or Persian but it's so I might be completely mispronouncing it but it has it's a Welsh word. Mm, and it's about longing for a place that you've left. That's beautiful. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, well, I'll include the details of that in the description, yeah. uh, as well as you also mentioned to me, uh, shout out to the podcast, Buddhability, because uh, I listened to a bit of that uh, before our conversation to just vaguely brush up my knowledge in some uh, manners and things but you know i really appreciate you spending your time uh, speaking with myself and you know the listeners are gonna love it so much so just thank you so much for your time thank you thank you so much yes <laughs> 
And that's the end of the conversation. Thank you so much, as always, for listening, my friends. Once again, big shout-outs to Tonya Todd for connecting myself and Radhika, and obviously Radhika herself for coming on the show and speaking to us about Buddhism and her life so openly and freely. I am planning on having Radhika on the show again at some point in the near future, but for the time being, just make sure you follow her on Instagram as well as on LinkedIn if you're on those platforms, and make sure you check out her website as well to keep up to date with all of her goings-on. So what else have we got coming up? Well, next week should be a special episode all about dogs. So I'm planning on myself, Megan, and a couple of people to discuss dogs. Obviously, when myself and Megan recently got Willow the puppy, uh, we want to talk about just dogs, basically. It's, it's, you know, you don't really need an excuse to talk about dogs. It's a very <laughs> quite widely spoken topic, especially in Western cultures and things. I mean, you go for our history and dogs are spoken about. So very excited to do that. Uh, the week after that, I should be speaking with someone who has been on the Ms. Marvel discussion show on Comics in Motion, who is a friend of Tony Farina's and is soon to be appearing on a lot of other shows, some with myself, some without. So uh, that's all I'm going to say about that individual. I have got another couple people planned for this month and a few other things in the pipeline. So it's got a lot of very exciting stuff to go. Obviously, to keep up to date with all of these things, follow me at Genuine Chit Chat on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. Obviously, I put snippets to other episodes on there, as well as photos and certain parts of my life, including the odd puppy photo or video onto my story and things like that. If you enjoyed this conversation, please make sure you share it on social media, you tell your friends about it, you rate and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, anywhere that you listen to a podcast that can leave some sort of review or rating, please try and do that because it really, really helps out the show. And obviously sharing with your friends and those sort of things is really, really helpful as well. In addition to that, I've done a couple of guest spots recently, so I'm recording a Femme on Film next week, which is Rhea Carrigan's show on the feed of Comics in Motion, so very excited to speak with her, along with Megan, about a movie that is a Femme on Film choice, which is very exciting. In addition to that, I was recently on Back to the Filmography by uh, I Am Jack's Musings, and myself and Megan spoke about the Tom Cruise movie Collateral for his show um, because Back to the Filmography is focusing on the filmography of a specific actor and in this scenario he's doing the Jason Statham discography Uh, so we tackled Collateral. The episode should be dropping over the next coming weeks and once it does drop I will be sure to include a link in the description but just make sure you subscribe to the Pop Gorillas as well as Comics in Motion to make sure you don't miss out on those things. I was also on Spider-Dan and the Secret Boars recently talking Maximum Carnage as well as Absolute Carnage and the film Venom Let There Be Carnage. So we talk about the symbiote, two massive crossover events in comics that are all focused around Carnage and then how the movie adaptation tackled those as well. So a link to that is in the description. The links for Femon Film and Back to the Filmography will be put in future episode links no doubt once the episode have actually released and for the time being my friends i think that is all there's a couple of other podcasts i'm planning on guesting on very soon but i want to make sure that it all goes through before i mention it and then it potentially falls through because that has happened in the past but that's really going to be enough for me my friends please make sure you contact radika rao tell her how much fun you had listening to our conversation please rate and review on social media tell your friends about the show and all those usual things you do to support the show and if you want to go above and beyond, you can become a supporter of my Patreon, patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. For as little as one pound a month, you get full access to the audio exclusive feed. So if you pay the smallest amount possible on Patreon, you'll get access to all of the audio bonus content. So that includes myself and Megan doing our afterthoughts each week, which we do movies or TV series or sometimes just bits about our life. Like we've been on road trips, gone on holidays and spoken about those things. And we watch live performances. So we recently saw the Great British Bake Off musical. So we recorded 
recorded our thoughts on that. And in addition to that, I released some Star Wars book reviews on there that I don't release anywhere else. I've done a few canon ones, I've done some Legends ones, and I've got a few more to go. And yeah, it's just a really, really good way to support the show. It means the absolute world to me if anyone would consider checking that out. And in the description, there is a link to one episode that's completely free for anyone to check out. That is bit.ly slash TomHanks1. So check that out and uh, please let me know what you think of that episode. And if you really enjoy it, please consider checking out the show. That's going to be enough for me, my friends. Thank you for listening. As always, I appreciate each and every one of you listening. And I'll talk to you all next week. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.